Welcome to episode number 220. In today's episode, I'm going to be diving into some tips that you're going to want to use to apply to both the garden, your livestock if you have them, and as well as some things inside the home, kind of a behind the scenes a little bit or kind of in the life of what we have been doing this past week and things that you probably want to be doing yourself if you haven't already. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, the best-selling author of three books, including my brand new book that is releasing in January, but you can get on pre-order with some really amazing bonuses, The Family Garden Plan, Raising a Year's Worth of Healthy and Sustainable Food. I'm the host of obviously this podcast, the Pioneering Today podcast, as well as the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy. This is where we talk about raising, preserving, and cooking your own natural organic food using modern homesteading practices. And I am so thrilled that you are here. At the time of this recording, we have just come off of Thanksgiving. And if you haven't had the wild winter weather hitting your area yet, you most likely will be very soon. And we've had just a mixture of a lot of different things going on over this past week. So I'm going to walk you through things that we did as we knew that this weather was coming in. So if you get this type of weather in your forecast, then you can be prepared with the garden and the livestock, as well as some tips in the kitchen. As you begin to experience those really hard freezes, you will notice on your perennial plants, if they haven't lost all of their leaves yet, then once you get those really hard freezes, I'm talking down in the 20s and in the teens, they will quickly shed the last of the leaves that they may be holding on to. And this happened with our fruit trees. Finally, my apple trees were the last to drop all of their leaves. The plum and the cherries had dropped theirs a a few weeks back, but my apple trees were like stubbornly holding on. But we had some really cold weather come through and they dropped all their leaves. Now, I shared back on episode number 207 how to treat fruit trees organically and when to spray for disease. So if you listen to that episode, then you know that my apple trees and my peach tree both were showing some signs of either disease and or infestation of some pests. And I was waiting for them to drop their leaves because when they show signs of anything, and even if they don't, you really don't want to let those leaves overwinter on the ground beneath your fruit trees because they can harbor disease and pests that you might not even visibly be seeing yet, but especially if you are. So we got all of those raked up. And of course, anytime that something is not ideal health-wise, you don't want to put it in your compost pile even though we typically love to put leaves in our compost piles come the fall and winter months. So those did not go in the compost pile, but I got them all cleaned up. We haven't had dry enough weather for me to really get out and spray them yet. But as soon as I've got two days of dry weather in the forecast, I plan on going out and spraying them. But that is number one thing. As soon as all of those leaves had dropped, I wanted to get them up as soon as possible so things didn't continue to breed and spread. So if you haven't yet, make sure that you rake up and get those leaves from underneath your fruit trees and or your berry plants as well once they've all fallen off. 
Now we had some weather move in. We didn't end up getting any snow. We had like a little baby flurry that my daughter swears she saw out the window and I didn't actually see it, but she said she saw snow for just a minute. But what happened is we had temperatures. Now we've been getting freezes that are down in the high 20s. So about 25, 26 degrees at night and then warming up above thawing during the day. And then when we don't have clear sky, we've had cloud cover. We've been hovering in in the 30s and the 40s is kind of our general area, but no snow. But we had a winter storm come through over Thanksgiving where we had a northeastern, which where I'm located in Washington state up in the foothills of the North Cascades, we'll get a northeastern that will funnel through our valley here. And it's actually cold wind that comes down from Canada via the Fraser River Valley. And during the winter months, we always say we're getting a northeastern and people know what that means. You are getting frigid, pretty good gusts of very, very cold air. And typically we're clear. So it's even colder when these winds come through. So we were forecasted to be down into 13 and 12 degrees Fahrenheit for our low temperatures during on Thanksgiving Day and the day following on Friday. So whenever we have temperatures like that coming in, which isn't, we get them every now and then, but typically they don't stay for months on end or even weeks on end. And they're not what we're experiencing all the time. But when those we know they're coming, it is time to take action. So number one, if you have any outside faucets that are not the frost free, So typically these are the faucets that are like on your house and that type of thing. We make sure that one, they don't have any hoses hooked up to them. All of the hoses have been drained. And then we've got the styrofoam covers that you can put or wrap them on any outside faucets so that they don't freeze. Now we have, because we've got livestock, so we have to be able to get water to them. We make sure we made sure when we put in our outdoor faucets that Two of them were the frost free so that we didn't have to worry about them freezing. They would withstand very cold temps and we would always be able to run water outside. And those we've had in, we've been in our homestead since 2006. So going on 13 plus years and they have never froze. Even when we've gotten down to the coldest we've ever gotten has been just about zero or one degrees. We typically don't get into the negatives, though sometimes with wind chill, it feels like it. So if you are don't have any of those faucets or you're looking to put some more in, definitely if you get cold temperatures, you're going to want to put those in. They have been really, really great. But we need to make sure hoses are drained and then our hoses go in our pump house. Our pump house is actually out in our top pasture. And we do use a heat lamp inside the pump house. One, we do wrap our the parts of the pump that go to our pressurized holding tank. And then obviously down in the ground, we do have some that are covered by our pump house, but they're still exposed. And we make sure that those are wrapped. So you can, we actually wrap them those pool noodles. They work great for going around pipes, but you can get some, some heavier wrapping as well and wrap them depending on what your temperatures do. So we do that just to be safe. But then we also will use a heat lamp in our pump house and then we will be able to put in the smaller chicken waters. I have a couple that I rotate through and I know I should probably go ahead and just get some chicken waters that don't freeze or some heaters for them. I just haven't done it yet. So I rotate through. I've got two chicken waters that are always out in the coop and I'll put one in the pump house and then it stays, gets nice and thawed out. And then I'll put it out in the actual coop and take the one that's out there and just rotate through each morning and evening, every 12 hours. 
when we've got those frigid temps so that they've always got water to drink. The hoses get stored in there as well so that when we need to run for the cattle, because they're going to need a lot more water, that those hoses are totally thawed out. So everything goes into the pump house that needs to stay thawed. And then we do have for our livestock, for I should say for the cattle, not for the chickens at this moment in time, we have a stock water tank heater. So that keeps that from freezing, which is really important because a lot of times people don't realize that they think in the summer months when it's really hot, we know how important water is, obviously. But when animals are outdoors and it's really cold, it's actually just as important, if not more important, because they're burning more fuel in order to stay warm. And so they need definitely need to have that drinking water with their feed and a little bit extra of their feed um, so that they can keep their metabolism going and that they can help themselves to stay warm in these really cool temps. Now, of course, when we know that these really cold weathers are are moving in um, and then when we fill up their water, obviously you drain the hose and it goes right back into the pump house. Now for the chickens, they have a movable coop. And if you want to see that in action or take a look at it, it's our chicken tractor that has the chicken coop actually on top of it so that I have to, I don't free range my chickens simply because we have so many predators here where we live. And I have lost a flock of 18 chickens before um, in two days because of coyotes in our backyard, broad daylight, doesn't matter. If you've ever had coyotes move in and we have other predators here, but those are the main ones that get the chickens, um, you know They will, as soon as they know that there's food, they just keep coming back like it's a buffet until they're all gone. So we don't free range our chickens because I can't keep a flock with the predators that we've got here that way. But I want them to have the availability of pasture and grass and bugs and not being cooped up. So we designed our chicken tractor that I move about every two to three days all around our pasture with the chicken coop on top. So they get kind of the best of both both worlds, which is very, very good. But because of that, when we're moving them, especially in the winter months, I need to make sure that wherever their coop is at in the field, that it's not in the frost line and that I've got it positioned so that when the wind is coming through, especially from the northeast, that they've got places, one, that it's not in the frost line. So any sunshine that we're getting in warm is advantage in warming that coop up where they can get access to that. And then secondly, that I'm blocking that wind so that they've got a wind block. So as I move the coop, I have to keep in mind that and had to kind of position it in a few different positions moving into this cold weather that was coming to experience. And then we also do the same thing when we're feeding the cattle. When we've got these cold temps, we make sure that they're where we're feeding them because after they eat, we don't like them to waste it, but they'll try to bed down in anything that they haven't eaten or that they've pulled out of the feeders. So we want to make sure that we're feeding them same thing, not in the frost line, taking advantage of any sunlight and warmth that's coming through that way. And also that's in an area that is protected from the wind as they're feeding. So we kind of map that out and save those areas when we've got this type of weather moving in to feed them. Now, we always make sure that we have had our firewood nice and seasoned and dry and done up months ahead of time. Moving into the middle of winter when you have a cold stretch is not when you want to be scrambling for firewood, but we make sure that we've got more stacked up because we know that we're in those type of temperatures. We're going to be burning more wood than usual just to keep the house warm. So we always make sure that we've got extra wood stacked right outside on our back deck, right outside the back door where I open up, where we go to our wood stove. 
especially when I know I've got a couple warmer days before that hits, because when it's that cold with that wind chill and we had up to 60 mile per hour winds gusts coming, you don't want to be out packing the firewood in in those types of conditions. And knowing that we were going to have those winds, which usually means a power outage, and it absolutely did for us. We lost power. I'm not kidding you. I was baking the last pie for the fundraiser that we were doing for my daughter's basketball team that I talked about in episode number 218. And that was how to use your homesteading skills to make money, especially during the holidays. Well, I was pulling out the last pie from pre-order and I pulled it out. And five minutes later, the power went out and was out from about 11 o'clock a.m. until about six o'clock that evening, which is actually a very short power outage for us. Now, we have wood heat, so the house was, we were able to stay very warm that way. And we finally got a generator we've been saving up for years that is big enough to power our pump. So I don't have hot water because you can't run, it's not big enough to power the hot water tank. But you guys, for the first time, ever. I mean, ever in my entire life. (laughs) When the power is out, I had running water. I'm not kidding you. I felt like the richest woman on earth. It is amazing. And you guys let me know if you are interested in more about um, generators and what you need to look for, especially when you know that you want a generator that's going to power everything or almost everything in your home, but it's not something, a generator that you're only going to be using during a power outage, right? Not something that you're looking to go completely off grid with. Though with this generator that we got, it powers everything enough that my husband and I were like, you know, we could go off grid with this thing if we had to now that we've got this set up. Let me know in the comments or via email, though, if that would be an episode you would be interested in is picking a generator that will run your whole house and what you need to know on getting a generator, obviously, to do that and just the things that you need to know in the setup in order to do it. Now, one of the beautiful things about growing and raising a year's worth of your own food and then preserving it so you have it to go through the winter months is When the power goes out or extreme temperatures or storms move in, food is like, I don't worry about food. That is the last thing that I have to worry about. We've got all of our canned goods, all of my dehydrated goods. We do have some stuff in the freezer, which is why we do like to also have our generator. And I would like to have running water as well. (laughs) But I don't have to worry about food. We've got the wood stove. I can cook in my Dutch ovens either outside a um, little bit more difficult when it's that cold out just because you don't want to be out there. And if it's really gusty, that does affect how long it takes to cook outside in a Dutch oven when you're using coals or wood. But I can cook quite a bit of things as well on the wood stove. And just a little bit of teaser here for episode number 221 that comes out on Friday. We are going to be giving you some amazing tips on how you can not only cook on top of a wood stove, but how you can bake on top of a wood stove. I am so excited for you guys to learn these tips because some of them were new to me. And now I'm actually looking forward to the next power outage where I can put all of these to the test. But this is one of those times when I'm like, okay, I can get my cooking on, get my bacon on. And when it's really cold out, One of my favorite things is to cook and bake. I don't necessarily like to do it quite so much in the summer when it heats up the house. But this is a great time to look at any of your items that you have put up, especially if you were using root cellaring type techniques where you have garlic and onions. Maybe you've got apples. I still have um, pumpkins, butternut squash, acorn squash and spaghetti squash. 
in the house. Now I have pressure canned up my cubed pumpkin, which is the only safe way that you can actually can pumpkin or winter squash is to cube it and pressure can it, not in pureed format. But beyond that, I still have my spaghetti squash and like I said, all those other squashes. And so this is a great time if you put cured and put them in in September or the beginning of October. If you haven't been, make sure that you check on them. You just want to check that old adage, one bad apple will spoil the barrel. Well, it's true on any of those things. So check your onions, check your garlic. Typically, my garlic and onions will go a whole year. But every now and then you'll have one that'll start to go bad. And if they're in a braid or you've got them in a box or something like that, you want to make sure that none of them are turning bad because it will quickly spread to the rest. Same thing with your pumpkin any of those winter squash, check them for any soft spots, any signs of spoilage. If you see any that are starting to turn, you know, evaluate them. If you can use them up quickly, put the, cook them and put them to use. Or if they're really starting to show quite a bit of rot, then they might be more apt where you're going to just cut out a few parts of it that's okay and, and feed it to the animals. Now, I don't feed my chickens completely rotten food, but if it just has a, you know, few spots on it that maybe I don't really consider good enough for us to eat, I'll still toss out some of it to them. But in years past, I haven't always been quite so diligent about checking on my root cellar type things because we just do it in our pantry, which is the room that's furthest away from the wood stove. So therefore, it's the coolest and on the floor. And I have them in some wire baskets so that they can breathe well. But that's the coolest spot in our house because obviously heat rises. So on the floor down lower is going to be your best bet. And we don't have a garage or a shop or a barn. So I don't have any area outside where I can store them where they would stay cooler that would be more like a root cellar because they would just end up freezing. But you want to make sure that you are checking them periodically because I found that my pumpkins, usually they last me just fine till Thanksgiving, but then between Thanksgiving or Christmas, that's when a lot of them will start to to soften and to go bad. And if I don't keep an eye on them, sometimes I've went in and, and they've gotten a little bit further than I would have liked, or I could have used them up faster. So I'll look and if one of them is starting to turn, you know, the rest of them will follow shortly thereafter. So then it's either like with pumpkin, like I said, you can safely pressure can those in cube format. Spaghetti squash, you cannot can. But if I see one of the type of food that's starting to go bad, then quick pull it out. But then I know that the rest of them are going to follow probably shortly thereafter when it comes to the squash. Now, your onions and your garlic should go just fine. You may just have one that's starting to turn. Those have a lot more long-term storage capabilities. So then I'll come up with some recipes like, okay, I need to put this stuff to use. And one of my favorites, big surprise, was to make up all of the pumpkin rolls and freeze them ahead of time, especially did it for Thanksgiving, but Christmas coming up. And I love soup. Pumpkin soup is one of my new absolute favorites. I'm just in love with it this year. And when it's cold out, you got nasty weather, or the power goes out, you can still cook soup really, really easily on a stovetop. And if you don't have a wood stove, it's even something that you can do on your barbecue. So you could do that outside with the lid closed and heat soup up and, and cook that way. So I kind of like to go through, see what we've got left on those root cellar type things and make sure that I'm using them up before they'll go bad and or preserving them in another format if it's going to fit for that vegetable. I hope you've enjoyed this little behind the scenes on what we have been doing out in the garden and the livestock and even in the kitchen to a degree on our homestead. 
and that you've gotten some tips for things that you can do as well. And if you don't have any of those wonderful vegetables yet left, I should say from last year, if you didn't plant enough to still have them taking you through, or you just didn't grow any of them, you definitely want to go and check out my new book, The Family Garden Plan, so that you know exactly how many of each plant you need to put in and plant for this year's coming coming garden that will feed your family. And it sh- teaches you and shows you with worksheets and charts exactly how to do that because you will customize it to your family size, what your family is eating and your growing climate. And it shows you how to do all of that with some amazing bonuses. And you get the worksheet and charts that walk you through that process right now when you pre-order. So go to familygardenplan.com to pre-order and get access to all of those amazing bonuses. And if you are not subscribed to the podcast, my friend, whatever app you are listening to this on, iTunes, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any of our episodes as they come out. And I can't wait to be back here with you on this Friday because it is an awesome episode and I know you're going to get some great tips just like I did. Okay, these Wednesday episodes are supposed to be short and sweet, but I missed you last week because we only had one episode. So I will be here back with you Friday morning. Mm -hmm.